The following message is by Pastor Steve Lee of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Sunday service. Why don't we begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the word. Father, we continue to look to you in prayer as the true source of help in our time of need. And for all the unique and individual challenges we're facing and the needs that we have, we ask for your loving hand to be present in our lives to help us in this time to be not only with us and our church family, but the whole nation and the whole world as we go through this pandemic together. It's hard to really fathom the scale of the suffering and the, and the difficulties that is going on at this global scale, but we know that you are a God that sees it all and that cares about everyone, and so we ask for your mercy to be great in this time. And give to us a heart of listening and a heart of understanding as we turn to your word at this time as well, as we open our hearts to you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, How are you all doing? Uh, Shelter in place, uh, this whole kind of restriction we've been under began uh, on March 20th, but as a church, We made the call a week earlier to suspend on-site services, and so it probably actually feels a lot longer than that. And so as of today, it will be seven weeks since we worshiped together in one location. Uh, I have not cut my own hair in over a decade, but I couldn't hold out any longer. And so a couple days ago, I dug up my old clippers and took the plunge and gave myself a haircut uh, for the first time in about 10 years, and uh, it was kind of a a very nerve-wracking prospect. One of the most striking demonstrations of how much things have changed in these few weeks are these images of wildlife, like deer and sheep, even coyotes and bears that have been roaming neighborhoods and cities because there are hardly any people or cars anymore to scare them away. These are the kind of scenes that you typically see only in zombie apocalypse movies. It's been interesting to also see how the conversation has evolved week to week uh, as this coronavirus crisis has continued. Uh, Protests to relax The restrictions and reopen businesses reveal that people are getting more and more impatient and even desperate as unemployment figures continue to skyrocket. On the home front, the novelty of shelter-in-place seems to have worn off for many of us. Uh, And now we're seeing some pretty undesirable behaviors emerging from this new normal. A recent Washington Post article Uh, One 34-year-old woman confessed that the only thing that gets her out of bed in the morning is the fact that she has to feed her cat. And she says that she now bases her personal hygiene completely on the timing of her video conference calls for work. 
She has lost all sense of regular meal scheduling, and so she finds herself eating leftover Chinese for breakfast and then just a slice of cheese for lunch. Habits that have been developed over decades have been completely abandoned by people because of this pandemic. People who once woke up at 6 or 7 a.m. and ate salads for lunch and exercised regularly find themselves up until 3 in the morning binging on Netflix and eating sugary kid cereals and other unhealthy foods at all hours of the day. On a bit more of a somber note, author and blogger Tim Challies writes of his experience with his family during this coronavirus crisis. I'll be transparent. I find that we are all battling varying degrees of irritability and discouragement and sometimes succumbing to them. The best I figure, I think this partly owes to being close together with nowhere to go and little to do and also partly to the sheer uncertainty of the present and future. In the abstract, you'd think a time like this would lead to great opportunities to do fun things as a family, to explore new ideas, to take on new projects, and so on. But now that we're into it, we all seem to be a bit listless and unmotivated. It can seem like a lot of work to organize a game of Clue or Taboo. As the dad, I'm feeling quite a lot of guilt over not spending more time doing quality things. But then it seems like no one else really wants to do those things either. It's like we all want something to do through the long afternoons and evenings, but often can't actually make it happen. We are trying to embrace these days and still are in many ways. We really are having some good and meaningful times together. But it's not as simple as I might have thought. I'm kind of disappointed in me. I do miss the church dreadfully. Online services are a blessing, but they sure aren't even close to the real thing. I put a lot of thought into what the Lord might be doing through all of this, what he might be doing in me, in my family, in my church, in my country, and in this world. I've seen all kinds of people offer their thoughts, but for now, I think it's far too soon to determine this with any kind of confidence. Where I do have confidence is that he's up to something significant, something that will ultimately be for the good of his people, the strengthening of his church, and the glory of his name. Maybe some of you can relate to Charlie's struggle to make this a more meaningful and intentional time for you and for your family. Maybe in the initial weeks, it was fun and novel playing board games or watching movies together and having family time of sitting around and talking with one another. But as the weeks go on, you're finding yourselves more and more sort of finding your own corner of the house, every person on their own devices. And I think we all have a picture of what this time could be, but there's a large gap with this ideal vision in our heads and the reality that we're actually experiencing as we pass these days through this crisis. And maybe, frankly, at this point, you've abandoned any attempt to make this a more meaningful time, and you're just counting the days until you could get back to the life that you knew before this COVID-19 pandemic started. But I hope you don't do this. Because I think it would be a really wasted opportunity. 
I think the key date that many of us have been focusing on is April 30th because it's when we thought that this stay-at-home order was going to be lifted. But I'm sure most of you have already heard by now that Governor Pritzker has extended it through the end of May. And for all we know, it could be even extended beyond that. And so, I don't know what else to tell you but to settle in. And like God told the exiles in Babylon, this ride isn't going to be over for a little while. You know, in the Journey Groups program that we have here at ICC, I teach through that program that of all of the spiritual disciplines, solitude and silence are the most important. And closely related to those disciplines are the disciplines of slowing down and simplifying our lives. And the reason why I argue this is because until we get rid of some of the clutter in our lives and learn simply how to be still before God, then all of the other disciplines like Bible reading and prayer become exercises in frustration, don't they? We're too restless and distracted to really focus on God and listen to Him. And so after only a couple of minutes of prayer, our minds are already wandering to all the things that we need to get done that day. A few weeks ago, I preached on Psalm 46, where we find this command in verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This is an invitation by God to sit in stillness and in that silence to allow our hearts to be recentered on the truth that He is God. But this stillness is also, I would argue, the most difficult discipline to learn because all of us suffer from this hurry sickness that makes us fill our lives with constant busyness. You know, in our journey groups, I think. This is a spiritual discipline that everyone struggles with because sitting around and just doing nothing feels like just such a waste of time. Silence and solitude are luxuries that we just don't think that we can afford in the midst of all the things that we need to do to get done, uh, all the things that we have to get done. But it strikes me that one of the unexpected gifts that God has given us through this pandemic is to basically hit the pause button on our lives. None of us would have done this voluntarily. But God has forced it on us to put a stop to so many of the things that normally fill our lives. You know, the truth is all of us tend to feel victimized by our busyness. And the truth is there's undoubtedly aspects of it that are beyond our control. Work can be demanding. Kids demand our constant attention. Friendships and marriages are hard work to maintain. And yet I still believe that we have to take responsibility for so much of the clutter that fills our daily lives and makes it feel like we could barely keep our heads above the water. Even on top of all of the busyness, in other words, that is imposed on us, we choose to pile more and more onto our plates. No one forces us to do this. But in this season that we're going through right now, God has put everything that is non-essential in pause mode 
He has forced on us this rest, this stillness. He has forced on us what few of us have the discipline to do voluntarily, simplifying our lives to this extreme. Right now, there are no dinners with friends or family to go to. There are no piano lessons or dance lessons or sporting events that you have to chauffeur your kids to. There's no gym where you can work out. There's no professional sporting events to watch. There aren't even hardly any church events to attend other than the ones we're hosting online. And as much as we may miss many of these things, I hope you can see this as a needed gift from God. We need to resist the temptation to fill this void with all kinds of meaningless distractions just to fill the time until we can get back to our normal routines. Instead, this is God's invitation for us to pause things and sit in stillness before Him and let Him speak into our lives. And I believe God does want to speak to each one of us in a personal way. I know some of you have struggled in the past with this. When you talk about this idea of hearing the voice of God, and you wonder why there are people who have testimonies of hearing God's voice in very personal ways, but never sensing that you've heard it yourself. And I think there are a lot of ways that we could address this issue, and uh, I think it really is sort of beyond the scope of what I want to Uh, unpack for this message, but for this message, what I do want to say is simply this, that our lives are filled with so much busyness and noise that it's not a surprise when we struggle to hear God's voice. It's interesting that before God spoke to his prophet Elijah, that he had him travel to a remote mountain and spend a night there alone in the quiet of a cave before he spoke to Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 8 to 9 says, So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And when God finally spoke, he came in this gentle whisper as it continues in verse 11 to 13. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? During this moment in Elijah's life, he was struggling to believe that God actually cared for him or that God was doing anything significant in all of Israel. In fact, he complained to God that as far as he could tell, he was the only one in the entire nation that still remained faithful to him. And so God showed 
Elijah, all of these impressive demonstrations of power, this earthquake and this fire and these hurricane-like winds before speaking to him in a gentle whisper to show that God often works and speaks in quiet ways that we don't even realize and that we don't often recognize those moments until we learn how to quiet our hearts and be still before him. Dallas Willard writes, hearing God, a daring idea, some would say, presumptuous and even dangerous. But what if we are made for it? What if the human system simply will not function properly without it? There are good reasons to think it will not. The fine texture as well as the grand moments of life show the need. Is it not, in fact, more presumptuous and dangerous to undertake human existence without hearing God? Today, I continue to believe that people are meant to live in an ongoing conversation with God, speaking and being spoken to. Rightly understood, I believe that this can be abundantly verified in experience. God's visits to Adam and Eve in the garden, Enoch's walk with God, and the face-to-face conversations between Moses and Jehovah are all commonly regarded as highly exceptional moments in the religious history of humankind. Aside from their obviously unique historical role, however, they are not meant to be exceptional at all. Rather, they are examples of the normal human life God intended for us. God's indwelling his people through personal presence and fellowship. Given who we are by basic nature, we live, really live, only through God's regular speaking in our souls and thus by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I agree with Willard that a life lived hearing God's voice is the normal life of fellowship with him that he intended all of us to experience. And I believe this coronavirus crisis is an incredibly rare, maybe even a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity where, as an entire society, the normal distractions have been taken away from us so that we can be still and listen for God's voice. That's why throughout this pandemic, I've been repeatedly hitting on this theme of being still and listening and learning because this is such a rare, utterly unprecedented opportunity for us. Maybe you can go on an early morning walk before the kids get up or go on an afternoon drive or it could be simply sitting in your backyard with your favorite drink. If you have little kids, maybe you need to tag team with your spouse to give one another these moments away from the family to be alone with God. And what I would say is, in that solitude and silence, don't listen to any music, even if it's gospel music, because you don't want the lyrics of those songs interfering with that silence. Don't read anything, and I know this is going to sound sacrilegious, but not even the Bible, because there are times for a Bible study, but there are also times to simply be silent 
before God. And just be there in that stillness for 20 or 30 minutes before God. And in that silence, listen for His voice. Uh, and just to wrap up what I want to share about this, uh, I know there's a lot of confusion uh, about hearing the voice of God, and it's, there's so much more to be said on it than I can say in this one single message. But as I have done in the past, back in 2010, I have uh, preached a whole series on this called God Speaks. So if you go to our church website or go to our podcast, you can find in the archives that series, and we'd encourage you to listen to that. Or even better yet, read Dallas Willard's book, uh, uh, Hearing God, which was the real inspiration for that series. So over the next several weeks, I am going to present to you a number of different topics to reflect on as you pause for these moments of solitude and silence. And for this week, I want to invite you to think about what it means to enter into the deeper life with Christ. Ask God particularly to shine a light on what exactly this normal life is that you're in such a hurry to get back to. What are you so busy pursuing in your life? What is it that you are chasing after? What fills your heart and makes you feel that life is worthwhile? David Getz, a Christian writer who lives actually right nearby in Wheaton, uh, wrote this book, Death by Suburb, and in it he says this. My family and I live in a county that recently was ranked in the 99th percentile in the United States for quality of life. On most days, my biggest decision is lunch, the atomic turkey or the veggie panini. A bloated little soul. That's what I fear for my life. As I fill my early fall evenings with six-year-old soccer practices, suburbia is a flat world in which the edges are clearly defined and the mysterious ocean is rarely explored. Every decision gets planned out, like the practice of registering at retail stores for one's wedding gifts. Only tragedy truly surprises in the burb I inhabit, many are the opportunities for Bible study, innovative worship services, helping the homeless, children's programs, small groups, and much more. Yet I can't shake the image of the inverse cripple with a bloated tiny soul. Perhaps that's one of the effects of comfortable suburban living. Too much of the good life ends up being toxic, deforming us spiritually. The drive to succeed and to make one's children succeed overpowers the best of intentions to live more reflectively, no matter the piety. Should it be any surprise that the true life in Christ never germinates? I think my suburb, as safe and religiously coded as it is, keeps me from Jesus. Or at least my suburb and the religion of the suburbs obscures the real Jesus. The living patterns of the good life affect me more than I know. You know, I have lived almost my entire life in the suburbs of Chicago. And so it's not surprising that life in suburban Chicagoland just feels like normal life to me. 
But you know, after living in the rural mountains of Kenya for five years as a medical missionary and then returning to the States, my eyes were suddenly opened to see that life in suburban America is not the norm. It's actually a very intentionally crafted place designed to maximize safety and comfort, shielding us as much as possible from crime and poverty and all of the other social ills that plague the rest of society. It's a land of bedroom communities, oversized SUVs, traveling sports leagues, corner cafes, shopping malls and churches where everything is so comfortable and predictable and safe. In other words, in suburbia, we have eliminated almost all of the unknowns. We have reduced all of the risks. And as a result, living in the suburbs, the truth is it actually doesn't feel like we need God all that much, does it? Because the truth is we can solve pretty much all of the problems that we're going to encounter in the suburbs figuring our way out of the dilemmas that we encounter through our own abilities, our own power. And as David Getz points out, suburbia is a place that tends to produce bloated little souls that can so easily dull the sharp edges of the gospel itself. The values of the suburban life are often the exact opposite of the values of God's kingdom. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus declares in Matthew 5, verse 3 to 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You know, in our suburban mindset, we actually feel sorry for and look down on the poor and the downtrodden and the marginalized. But Jesus tells us that they are actually the ones that quite often are the blessed ones. Because they are humble and desperate enough to acknowledge their need for God. On the other hand, Jesus has a rather different outlook for the wealthy. In Matthew 19, verse 23 to 24, it says, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. You know, this doesn't mean that poverty in and of itself is a good thing, nor does it mean that wealth in and of itself is evil. But I do think that this means we don't question enough the toxic, deforming impact that all of the wealth and comfort that we're surrounded by in the suburbs has on our soul. The cars and houses that we buy, the activities that we enroll our kids in, the places where we shop and we dine, this is the very air that we breathe. And everyone around us is doing the same. And so we really never stop to question it. We're all chasing the same dreams that they are. Jesus warns his disciples in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. But the message 
for us in life in the suburbs is the exact opposite, isn't it? Who you are is defined by what you own and what you accomplish. As Christians, we often make the argument that the things in this world can never satisfy us and, never, and money can never really give us happiness. But the truth is, they can if we're willing to settle for the level of satisfaction that those things offer us. And I think that suburbs of America are a testament to this reality. And the scary thing is that even as Christians, we can find ourselves living for the same things that this world chases after. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Do not conform to the pattern of the, or chapter verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How do you define success? How do you describe the good life? What will make your life feel worthwhile? There is this whole pattern of thinking embraced by this world that is contrary to the will of God. And as Christians, it is a very real temptation to get swept up into that way of thinking. And so Paul warns us to guard ourselves from succumbing to that pattern of this world. Well, so then what do we do? Is the only way to avoid this bloated little soul to sell all of our possessions and go join a mission in Africa or India? I mean, that may actually be the calling for some of us. But I don't believe that that is God's solution for most of us. I mean, Imagine getting all worked up and angry because you feel that your daughter's coach for her club soccer team isn't giving her the amount of playtime in each game that you think she deserves. And then imagine how stupid and trivial all of that would seem if you found out that your spouse was diagnosed with cancer. And yet, and yet, despite the truth of that comparison, the solution can't be that we constantly need disastrous events to shatter our lives in order to keep things in perspective and, and to keep us on the right path. You know, right before this COVID-19 crisis began, I was really preoccupied with what at that time felt like this really gut-wrenching decision about this lens that I wanted to buy for my camera, which I had been eyeing for a few months now. And I stumbled on that bookmark in my web browser for that lens just the other day. And in light of this ongoing pandemic, that whole struggle about that lens just seemed so trivial right now. But here's the thing, this COVID-19 crisis is going to pass. And life in the suburbs in, of Chicago will return to normal. And I believe the answer isn't necessarily to flee the suburbs, but to discover what deeper living looks like 
in the suburbs. The kind of deeper living that Jesus invites us to. In John chapter 10, verse 10, it says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What is this abundant life that Jesus offers us? And are we living in the fullness of that abundant life? In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And I think this is a gift of God in the midst of this pandemic to just strip us away of many of these things that distract us and consume us. And he is, I believe, inviting us into moments of stillness and silence before him to do a genuine audit of our lives and really reflect, am I living the fullness of the life that Christ has invited me into? Or am I just living just like the world, following and pursuing after the same things that this world chases after? I urge you not to let this opportunity pass you by and just try to distract yourself until life as normal can return. But use this time to evaluate what the normal should look like when the crisis is over. Let me close with some more words from Tim Challies as he reflects on all of this in his own life. It seems to me that as we ponder when and how we will emerge from our COVID-19 quarantines and lockdowns, we will have a rare chance at a kind of do-over. It is extremely unlikely that one day we will receive a society-wide all-clear signal and emerge back into life as it was. More likely is an incremental approach where over time we can begin to restore some of the functions we have had to cease for a time. We will then have to decide when and if we return to each of these activities. And there is no better time than now to be reflective about what we want our lives to be. There is no better time than now to be prayerful about how we will keep our lives from going from too empty to too full. One day, the gym will send an email to say it has reopened, and you can go in again to work out. Today is the ideal time for you to assess whether you are actually using that gym membership and to decide whether it is serving you well. What else could you do with that time? What else could you do with that money? Don't go back just because the doors have opened. Go back because you thoughtfully evaluated it and determine that it is important or necessary to your well-being. One day, that co-working space will open its doors again. One day, that organization will have its first post-lockdown meeting. One day, that club will begin to gather once more. Will you go as you did two months ago? Before you go back to what was normal, decide whether this is the normal you want. Take the do-over. Take the opportunity to assess, to evaluate, to carefully and prayerfully ponder the kind of life you want, the kind of life you believe the Lord is calling you to live. That is my prayer for every single one of us.
to find these moments of stillness and solitude and silence before God where we humbly ask Him, God, what is it that you want for my life? Where am I missing out on this deeper living that you want for me? Because I'm filling it with all kinds of other cheap substitutes that cannot actually truly satisfy. Let us pray. Father, that is our prayer this day. That in that stillness, like Elijah on Mount Horeb, we would hear the still small voice, the gentle whisper of your voice breathed into our soul. And open our eyes as we reflect on what normal life has meant for us before this crisis, to consider what normal life ought to look like in the days ahead as we emerge out of this crisis. And open our eyes to see the richness of the deeper life that Christ invites us to. For it is in his name we pray, amen. Now receive the benediction. Be still and know that he is God and that he will be exalted among the nations, exalted in the whole world. And in the stillness and solitude of that silence, may God meet you and whisper his gentle whisper into your soul. May you accept Jesus' invitation into the deeper, abundant life that he offers you, letting go of the things of this world so that you can have more of Christ. Amen.